Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. And so with that, at New Abbey, we believe in conversation with one another. And so if you'd find three, four, five people around you uh, that you feel comfortable talking with, I mean that from like the Delta variant standpoint, I don't know. Be comfortable with who you're around, yeah. If you're an introvert, it's a great time to go to the bathroom or deal with it. Um, and we got this question for you to get started with. When have you experienced or needed compassion in joy? I think three or four years ago, it was Labor Day and a bunch of friends had invited us up to Yosemite for this camping trip at the time. Uh, we only had my two sons. My daughter hadn't been born yet. My sons were like three and a half and one and a half. And we were out in Yosemite. If you've been there before, the loop, like where the buses pick you up and you can go to like different camping spots or hiking trails, things like that. And I can tell that one of my sons, my younger son Bryce, isn't feeling that well. Again, he's only like one and a half at this time. And they got him in this like backpack thing where he's not hiking. I'm hiking with more human beings because I'm a dad and I'm a glutton for punishment. And so we're in this bus that's packed out in the Yosemite Valley, and all of a sudden, I've taken my backpack off, and I've set it on the ground of this bus, and I'm looking over at my son, and things are happening to his face, and I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> and out of nowhere, he begins to poltergeist vomit on this entire bus, just <laughs> back and forth. And literally, right in that moment, the doors open, right? And new people are walking onto the bus and he is just splash zone all over them. And they're like, what is that? Like, you're not ready for that. <laughs> this isn't what you wanted for your life, right? And just as fast as it happened, I grab him, get off the bus, and they're like, where did that even come from, right? <laughs> Mystery surprise in Yosemite. So we get back to the campsite and we're like giving him some water and imagine he's probably dehydrated, something's going on, maybe he ate something, we don't know. And, but for the next like three hours, he continues to vomit. So like, okay, we gotta get out of here. Yosemite Valley, they're not gonna deal with children, so we have to drive to the nearest hospital, which is about an hour and 30 minutes outside of the valley. So we have to go out to some random town, wherever we're at, to go find an emergency room. And my son, who's been vomiting all day, right, he gets an IV, and I always just remember like holding his tiny little hands, this like small human getting an IV in the hospital and holding him there. And then we had another kid who's just exhausted from the entire day, right? So Chris ends up staying at the hospital with Bryce, and I take Caden back to this like hotel room because like we can't risk two kids getting sick. I mean, it's chaos, people, right? If you want kids, stop right there. <laughs> Do you enjoy sleep? Do you enjoy your own time? Then don't do it. Anyway, so we're, now we're like, okay, we think he's getting better. And so we're crazy, and we're like, well, let's just keep camping now. So we go back to the campsite, because we had already left all of our stuff there. So like, he's fine. He's got an IV. We're like here another two days. Like, we have to go back and pack up anyways, and then go back home. And that just feels like too much. Let's just go chill at the campsite and relax. So the next day, he's totally fine, and I'm just like sitting by a campfire, probably like having a beer, and just like, oh my God, that was the craziest 36 hours of my life. And I hear Chrissy yell, Corey! And I go back to the tent, and now my oldest son is vomiting everywhere. And it's like 11 p.m. at night, and I'm like, I can't do this. God, if you're there, help me. And 
at this point, we know that we weren't going to leave, and it's like getting colder. So I put Caden in a sleeping bag with me, and about every hour he would vomit. A lot of times he would miss the bucket, but it was so cold. I like had, so it would take like a blanket off and like put it in like a trash bag. So now it's like 3 a.m. We have nothing left, and he's like vomited in there with us. So I turn the sleeping bag around, and I'm just laying there trying to keep a small human warm with like vomit at my feet, and just God, right? It was. It was scary. And then at 6 a.m., we got up, drove home, and just hated our lives for the next week. But the point of the story is compassion. That as human beings, we need compassion. And compassion is different than empathy. Empathy is I'm feeling what's going on with my three-year-old right now, and it must be so difficult. Empathy is, oh, there's a person under a rock. I'm going to go get under that rock with them to feel their pain. Compassion is we got to get you out from under that rock. And there's an action-oriented item to it. And both are really good values, but we're talking about compassion today as this bigger idea of where we're going as a church. And so as I've been thinking about compassion, as we've been thinking about this idea of reconstructing Jesus, uh, there's been this passage that keeps coming to me from, from John. And this is kind of what we'll be thinking about for the entire month of August is a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I've been obsessed with this verse. I've been obsessed with this idea that if we are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2021, which is what we are, then it's about our ability to follow Jesus. Interestingly enough, Jesus, Jesus never asked you to believe in him. Jesus only asks you to follow him. That for most of us, we grew up in the Western world where what we believed is that Jesus needed us to believe and to attain some level of theology in our head, and that was belief, and that was somehow the good thing. And if you did it right, right, not like the Methodists or the Presbyterians, or whoever, right, everyone had like their thing. They looked at the other side and they're like, they're doing it wrong. But it's all just about moving around their theological frameworks in their head. But that was very uninteresting to Jesus. For Jesus, it's this. Yeah, if you're, if you're following me and, and you love me, then love other people. Let me see it. How you love others is what we show to the world. Toyota's clearly doing a good job at it. So how do we as the church, are these followers of Jesus, do a good job at it? So today we're gonna think about compassion and the power of compassion. And if we're gonna do that, we gotta do some things. We're gonna talk about the incarnate one. And if we can talk about the incarnate one, then we can talk about being God carriers. And if we can be God carriers, then we're going to talk about some, that's, this is out of order. I don't know why this is out of order. This is interesting. That's okay. Empathy versus compassion. Then if we can talk about empathy versus compassion, then we'll talk about rakamim. And if we can talk about rakamim, I know everyone's like, of course, my favorite Hebrew word. Then we'll talk about cultivate. And if we can talk about cultivate, then we'll talk about putting our oxygen masks on before you put it on somebody else. And if we do that, then we can talk about orthodoxy and moving towards orthopraxy. And if we can do that, then we can talk about meme accounts. That's what you clap for. Again. I'm quitting my job. Praise God. Praise God. Like such a classic millennial church. It's just unbelievable. Back to the list. Memes. People get fired up. Someone's like, I'm having a baby. They're like, yeah, people do that all the time. Babies. No big deal. Others focus. Uh, neuroscience, and if we can talk about neuroscience, then we're going to talk about reciprocal altruism. And if we can do that, then we're going to talk about I am willing. As we're thinking about reconstructing Jesus, the best way for me to understand reconstructing Jesus is to look through church history. 
In church history, for the first thousand years of the church, we understood Jesus through incarnation. It was through the second half millennia that we began to understand Jesus much more through atonement. I bring this up quite a bit in here. And I just want to bring us back to our roots. That incarnation is this idea that in Jesus, we see the fullness of who God is, and we see the fullness of what it means to be a human being. And I've said this in here quite a bit, but I'll keep saying it. If anyone ever tells you a version of God that doesn't look like Jesus, just say, "Mm mm-mm, not for me. Is Jesus caring, kind, compassionate? When do you see Jesus sending people to hell? Never. When do you see Jesus angry at people in, in, in ways where he's, he's hurting them? Never. He'll challenge systems. He'll challenge systems that are hurting people, but Jesus is always trying to free people towards a greater version of their humanity. And so we look to Jesus to understand who God is, and we look to Jesus to understand what it means for us to be human. And so to do that, I want to look at Mark chapter 1. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you grew up in the church world, then you probably heard stories of leprosy before. The leprosy was this disease uh, that really impacted people and, and your skin. Leprosy covered a wide variety of things. But in the ancient world, if you had leprosy, particularly in the Jewish world, you weren't allowed to participate in society. Uh, and because you weren't able to participate in society, there was an incredible amount of isolation that went with that. That leprosy would affect your appendages, that you would feel numb on your skin, that you'd feel so numb sometimes that when you were on the outskirts of society, there would be stories of like rodents eating your limbs while you were still alive because you didn't have pain sensories on you. So the story is incredibly serious that there's a leper who's going to Jesus begging to be healed for all of the apparent reasons. Again, we don't have very many lepers in the United States, but we have people who are constantly looking to be healed. Have you been there? Have you been in such a point in your life where you felt so isolated, where you felt so alone, where you felt like nobody was there for you, and you thought, all I have to do right now is to scream out to the divine. I'm begging to be healed. Have you been there? Have you been that person? Have you had those moments? It's a human experience that we can all connect to and relate with in some way. And he says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. How many of us have had this similar conversation with God? God, you can heal me. If you're out there, show yourself to me. If you're out there, fix this thing. If you're willing, God, I've given it everything that I can. But whether it's society or my family or this church or my abilities, I can't go any further. If you are willing, would you heal me? We've been there. And interesting enough, in Jewish tradition, would you make me clean? Which is a way of saying, I don't only want to be healed, I want to be integrated. I want to be back in the community. I want to be known. I want to be loved. I've had so many conversations with the LGBTQ community in here where people will come to New Abbey, they'll get healed, and then they'll go back to their other church that doesn't affirm them. Because there's a part of people sometimes that's like, I still want their approval over there. And they continue to hurt me, but I, just, I want them to say that they love me. And there's a part of us that wants to be integrated, that will even hurt ourselves sometimes in an effort to be loved by the wrong people at times. Moved with compassion. If I want to know who God is, I look to Jesus. He shows us who God is and shows us what it means to be human. 
So if Jesus is moved with compassion, it shows me that there's a God up there who's moved with compassion. If Jesus is moved with compassion, it tells me that human beings have the capacity for compassion. Where does Jesus ever say human beings are depraved creatures that God can't even look at? Oh, that's right, nowhere. <laughs> Jesus constantly has compassion, love, care, gentleness, kindness for human beings. We've all been told these narratives of who God is that we don't find in the life of Jesus. And Jesus reached out and touched him. The compassion moves us towards action. It moves us towards doing something. And the story is telling us that there's some part of who God is that wants to participate in our narratives. And there's a part of what it means to be human that we have compassion for people that we wanna participate in the narratives of those who are suffering. I am willing, Jesus says, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to your priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. That was a, what a transition there, right? Like uh, we have cleansed. Uh, but the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened as a we got big words here today. From everywhere, yeah, okay, you get it. That's the verse. Go read it again. That was tough. That was too much. That was, that was way too difficult. We'll figure that out on Purpose Center next week. Point of the story is this, that in Jesus' time, if you had leprosy, if you were to get healed in some way, shape, or form, you would go to the priest, and the priest was the one who would look over you, and there's all these Levitical laws that after you were healed, then the priest would do all these sacrifices around you so that, that you would be clean again to re-participate in the community. And that was an incredibly important thing. So when Jesus is saying this, it's not a strange request. When Jesus is saying, yes, you're healed, and now I want you to go to the priest so that you can live your life again with all of the people that you want to love and be loved by. And Jesus is trying to give this man an incredible gift. And what's exciting about the story is that, Jesus, that this person doesn't do that. What this person does is he goes and he shares this good news of what Jesus has done for him. This person goes and probably knows, right? Probably knows, I've been to the priest before. I know how it works over there. I know what their language is all about, and chooses not to go. Instead, chooses to go into the town and talk about, this is what God is like. This is how I see what humanity is like now, that Jesus was filled with compassion and healed this person. And so we need to remember that as we think about what compassion means for us, that the root word for compassion is this idea of suffering with. That when we have compassion for somebody, there's something within human beings that we want to suffer with. What an interesting choice for us. I grew up in a world where we talked about human beings as selfish. I don't believe that's true. I believe there's selfish components to us. Of course, every single human being, there's parts of us that just wanna protect ourselves. But COVID was an incredible example of this. In COVID, you remember those early stories where people are like, the apocalypse is coming, get your guns and toilet paper ready? But what did I actually see on the news? The little woman, old woman next to me couldn't go outside because we didn't know what was going on, so I went and bought groceries for her. I saw more stories of human beings with compassion. I saw more stories of what we're capable of and the capacity that we have as human beings to care for one another. I believe about everybody in this room that what we're really wired towards is that we want to suffer with others, that we're willing as we mature, as we heal, as we grow, as we transform to suffer with other human beings. I believe that about who we are. That uh, there's this a famous Buddhist philosopher that says this about compassion. Each, one, each of us, yep, there we go. Nope, other one. 
Compassion is a sense of concern that arises when we are confronted with one another's suffering and feel motivated to see that suffering relieved. My belief about Jesus, my belief about our humanity is that we want to see other people's suffering relieved because we want our own suffering relieved, that we have this massive capacity to care for people and we want to be cared for. The Hebrew word for compassion is rahakim. Rahakim, say it with me is this Hebrew word that is rooted in rakam, and rakam is this word for womb, that the word compassion is this root word for womb. It's this idea that compassion is like a maternal instinct, that from the womb, this, this beautiful understanding of care and suffering. Is there any deeper idea of care in the world than a child being in a mother's womb? A child being cared and nurtured for and supported, that you would do everything for this child in the womb. And there's all this beautiful Catholic theology primarily about compassion in the mother's womb. And I always love that. I always say those kind of things because if, how many of us grew up Protestant in the room, right? And when you grew up Protestant in the room, we heard weird things about Catholics like, oh, they pray to Mary, those devil worshipers. Anyone ever hear stuff like that, right? And then you were like, got older and you were deconstructing some things. And you're like, thank God someone finally talked about a woman in history, right? Let's go. I'm not scared that they're praying to Mary. I'm just glad there's a woman up there with all those white men, you know? It's getting tiring up there. And we need this maternal instinct that so much of society is often a, a, has been part of a paternal instinct, right? We talk about patriarchy all the time, that there's a yin and yang to the universe, that there's a compassion, there's another side of God, why we sing mother and father, why God is not just he, but God is she, why God is they, that we need these components of who God is and this maternal instinct of compassion that we see in Jesus that is innately part of what it means to become human from the womb and what it means to live out as a human being, that compassion is hardwired into who we are and that Jesus lives this out in a beautiful way. And what I believe about compassion is that compassion teaches us something different about what it means to be human and how we can understand God. The Dalai Lama says this, each of us in our own way can try to spread compassion into people's hearts. Western civilizations these days place great importance on filling the human brain with knowledge, but no one seems to care about filling the human heart with compassion. This is what the real role of religion is. What I love about every great spiritual teacher is that compassion is a reality. That many of us who are progressive and we live in this deconstructing world, we're making places for anger and rage and tearing down the system, and there's places for that. And there's also components of compassion that we need to continue to reconstruct some things and to rebuild some things after we've said no to those systems, those systems of injustice that have so hurt us. And so if we're to understand compassion, we always need to put our own oxygen mask on first. That if we're going to understand compassion, we first need to give ourselves self-compassion. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The problem with that is, what if you don't love yourself? It's very difficult to then love your neighbor. It's very difficult to offer compassion if you don't have compassion for who you are. You cannot give what you do not have. And so the story of Jesus, what we see in Jesus, is again, we start with the baptism, and it's at the baptism of Jesus that Jesus hears from God, you are my son, with whom I loved, and with whom I am well pleased. It's the identity that we're all formed within. 
And out of that identity, of course, Jesus can now offer compassion to other human beings. And so the hard work that we do with one another, the good news of Jesus of this radical kingdom, is that we're all finding our identity, that we are children of God, that we are loved by God, that we are pleasing to God. And out of that identity, then we now have the capacity to offer compassion to other human beings as well. And so if you are in a place where you're not compassionate towards yourself, where the narratives that you have running through your head are that you're not enough or that you're not okay or that you, right, that there's something wrong with you, that why we come and we remind ourselves in these places, why we do the work of therapy, why we find other healthy people around us to mirror greater truths to us is so that we can remember the true components of our identity. Then as we remember those true components of our identity, as we find healing, then we offer it to other people. So compassion starts with ourselves, and then we begin to offer compassion to other people. But here's the awkward Venn diagram of what goes on here. Most of the suffering that happens in the world happens because human beings are thinking about themselves. Let me explain that a little bit more. Some of you are like therapists in this room. You're like, making me uncomfortable, Corey. <laughs> what I mean by that is that as every single human being, the only vantage point that we have for the world is our own experience. And so most often what you think about is you. Your favorite thing to talk about is you. Your favorite thing to wonder about is you. And there's nothing selfish or wrong with you about that. That's just who you are as a human being. The most important person in your universe is you because it's you. And what we do in that is sometimes we begin to create our own suffering because we're only thinking about us and we're only thinking about our problems and we're only thinking about our pain and, our, and we've become so myopic in our understanding of who we are and we've lost sight of who we are in context with the rest of the universe and the rest of the world. So we need a high level of love and self-care and we need a high level of love and self-care for other human beings. Let me say it in this way. If you grew up in the conservative church like I did, most of the time what you heard is love everybody else really well, be incredibly codependent, wink, wink, but don't, right? But don't really love yourself well. And then what we hear in other places, the pendulum has swung so much where we love ourselves so incredibly well, but then we don't really begin to think about other people. So we've traded codependence for independence when the reality of health is interdependence. Oh, I can love myself well so that I can also love other people well. And that as I love other people well, it also teaches me to love myself better. Oh, that's, that's the magic of what Jesus is leading us towards here. And so in the world of Christianity, we've often been taught about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is this idea of correct teaching. And now I know it's like 11, 18, you're like, I'm so excited he finally got to orthodoxy. You're welcome, I'm here. Oh, praise God, you waited all this time and I made it, I made it. Correct teaching, Sunday morning, beautiful. In the world of correct teaching and beliefs, we were taught, again, if we just rearrange the theological furniture, then this is the thing that makes God happy. Apparently, when we die, we will get a test that asks about our understanding of the Trinity. <laughs> or something, I don't know, right? Like, we almost have, like, these weird beliefs of, like, did I believe the right thing? God, did I say this? Are you going to strike me with lightning, like, cause and effect? I said shit today, and if I said, oh, no, I'm going to hell. Like, how many of us, like, lived in these weird places with God where it's, like, this back and forth, and what is happening here? But again, what Jesus is interested in is orthopraxy, and that is a correct way of practice or being. Jesus doesn't think much about what you believe. Jesus doesn't talk about that a whole lot. Jesus is constantly interested in the way that you're living your life. 
Do you show kindness? Do you show gentleness? The fruit of the Spirit is, right, for the fruit of the Spirit is memorizing your Bible and getting all of the Awana stars. No. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. By the way, some of you are like evangelical and got that joke. For some of you, I don't know what that means. And praise God for your life that you don't have that baggage. You are free in Jesus' name right now and go with it. No, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all ways of being. The fruit, the fruit that you bear within you with Jesus is not your capacity to memorize knowledge or Bible verses. That theology or Bible verses, if it doesn't lead towards love and joy and peace and kindness, it's no good. It's not helpful. In fact, it might even be hurtful because you're so busy doing that that you're missing the point of what Jesus actually came for, which is to show us a radical way of being human that shows us who God is and what it means to be human. And so Jesus leads us into this orthopraxy that teaches us a way of being compassionate with one another. Made a Christian meme this week. That was fun. Here it is, Christian meme. Love this. Every church conference always has the one controversial preacher in the lineup. I loved it. It was good. Got my phone blown up a little bit to see like, Corey, did you see this? Ah, memes. What I love about the internet is, one, don't ever get in an argument with the internet. You will lose. Not a thing to do. But I was interested to read the comments, which you should never do, by the way. It's just don't read the comments. Um, but I did because I'm a glutton for punishment. And there was, all, there was a spectrum of all kinds of things in there. People were like, oh, by the way, I got to tell you what I said in the, in the meme. They, they had a video of me, and I was talking about you can be progressive. You can be inclusive. You can go to a therapist. You can follow Jesus. You can go to a chiropractor who will do some shaman shit on you. So I said something like that. And then they're like, he's revealing his sinful heart to us because he said shit. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> wow. Right? Well, other person was like, literally like, and this is why progressives will know the fires of hell. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You, this person doesn't honor the pulpit by bringing up shamans. And I'm like, this is good. But my absolute favorite was when the youth pastor gets a chance to preach to the main congregation. I was like, let's go. That was good. I was like, this baby face? You talking about me? But what I was actually sad about was this reality of why, as followers of Jesus, are we having debates about somebody saying the word shit when we could be living out lives of compassion and kindness? There's an orthodoxy where we're debating all kinds of, we're having these giant conversations of missing the point. How many angels can stand on the head of a knee? Shut up. Like, what are you talking about, right? Do you believe in Calvinism or Armenianism? Are you kind? What will that do for you? And so for me, it's the sadness that we still live in this world where we're trying to prove something to God or prove something to ourselves. We have all of these debates and all of this criticism and all of this judgment. But what if we put that energy towards, I was doing therapy. I was finding health for my life. I was finding healing. I was reconstructing a life with Jesus. And I'm living a life of compassion in this world. And this life of compassion in this world is bringing healing and it's bringing change to everybody around me. That's the thing that I'm most interested in. I don't want to be a church that gets in debates about memes. Boring. We have better things to do with our time. 
I'll have people be like, oh man, I heard somebody say this, or this other church said this thing about New Abbey that were my favorite thing ever. I heard pastor say this to me one time. Well, you know, at New Abbey, you guys believe in grace, but do you talk about truth? And it was in that voice, and I'm like, wow, okay. Fascinating comment. And I just said, let's have another margarita because I really don't want to get into this. I'm not here to debate those things. In the process of deconstruction, as I move towards compassion, I want to move away from critique. I want to challenge systems of oppression. And by challenge systems of oppression, that doesn't mean that I'm a keyboard warrior. By challenging systems of oppression, I know what it's like to sit on a subcommittee for the city of Pasadena for seven years to participate in homelessness and housing. I'm not brag bragger, not what I'm trying to do there. What I'm saying is I know the hard work if you wanna be about ending systems of injustice. Maybe there's some things for you to call out in line. I don't know, that's your life. What I'm saying is if we're gonna topple systems of injustice, it's gonna require more work than that, I promise you. Maybe that's a place to start. But also I would say this, if you get to a point of critique, maybe that point of critique is, what if I don't critique today and what if I move towards compassion? And what would it look like to move towards compassion? Uh, I believe that we can move towards compassion in a few ways. One is meditate. What does it look like to meditate? Meditate's a little bit different for me than prayer in this. Meditate is how do I take 10 minutes a day to set my gaze on compassion towards other people? As I meditate and as I sit there and as I think about my favorite topic, me, sometimes I also wanna sit there and be like, what does Carissa need today? And yesterday I was meditating and I was in my room and being so holy or whatever I was doing. And I could hear my kids losing their brain and like the dishes were being done. And I was like, I can sit here and continue to talk about compassion or I could go help with that. That's a moment of compassion. That as I just set my gaze towards something else, it opened my ears to the world of like, I'm up here being holy man when my children are losing their shit downstairs. I should switch, right? And so maybe you think about the people in your life, start with the people closest to you, how might I hold compassion for them today? What would it even look like just to ask yourself those questions? How might that bring change to the world? And then as you do that, maybe that will spread out, maybe your spheres of influence will grow. Maybe you'll even find yourself saying, how might I offer compassion to my enemy today? That doesn't mean you're gonna have lunch with that person and receive more hurt and trauma. No, that might just mean, I'm gonna change my way of being or gaze maybe towards who they are. And then after I meditate, I think maybe we pray. And some of you are like, I don't know what I believe about prayer anymore. Great, try this on though. As you have compassion towards somebody as you meditate, what would it be like to say, God, how might you bless that person today? How, how might that just change your view of humanity by just simply just asking for something like that? By just saying, I am willing. I don't know what it means. I don't know who the leper is in my life. I don't know who the people are who are distant in whatever spectrum of humanity I have. But how do I say, I am willing, Jesus? I am willing to participate in compassion like you did. If I believe that Jesus, you show me who God is, then Jesus, what I see is that God, you say that you're willing to offer compassion in my life. And if I believe that that's true, may I follow you into paths of compassion myself. And so may I just pray, maybe it stops there. And then the next thing is always an actionable item. I wanna start small before I get really crazy. I'm an Enneagram three, so usually I just wanna run the marathon first without any training. Let's reverse that a little bit. Sometimes what it is is, how do I go into the world today and smile when I make eye contact with human beings? How are you today? Honestly, that's a different gaze, right? Versus being in your car, cut me off, mother, right? Yeah. <laughs> cut you. I've cut people for less, right? 
Or just being at the store and like, if anybody even looks at me right now, right? And I know that, but we do. We, there's all these things that separate us as human beings. But maybe from meditation, as we participate in compassion, our gaze will look up. And what some human being needed today is they needed eye contact. They needed a kind word. They needed a good morning. And then we'll get a little crazier. As you know, these people, you set your gaze of compassion towards them, you offer them a hug. I know this is getting crazy, people, right? Maybe they needed a little, little physical touch today. Maybe they needed someone to offer them intimacy because they didn't have it. And we begin to increase these levels of compassion. And so we think about compassion simply as that. How do we move from a place of meditation to prayer to starting simple to more robust things in this universe? And I believe that the life of Jesus shows us compassion. And I believe that the Roman Empire was toppled, not because Christianity went to war with it, because millions and millions of people found their identity in God, and the Roman Empire was toppled because of compassion. Because Rome was no, had, couldn't compete with that. Kill whoever you want. But in this resurrection life, in this bigger story of Jesus, compassion offered a new way for people to be human. And I believe that compassion constantly topples empires in new ways. I mean that metaphorically, and I believe that literally. I see it all throughout human history. That as we are participants in passion, as we cultivate it within ourselves, we bring about change and transformation in the world. You're gonna get back in your groups and you're gonna answer these questions with one another. How can you cultivate compassion? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.